Welcome, everyone, to episode 29 of Caster Calls of Zombie Grub. I am here with Jason Kaplan, Jay Kaplan, J-Cap. I feel like I've heard oh. all of these things. <laughs> You've been called all these things. And I'm so glad that you uh, actually had time to, to come on. Thank you so much for I know you've been very busy. I know you just picked up with a, a CSGO uh, gig, which actually is pretty damn cool. Um, but I'll let you talk more about that as we get into the podcast. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you just, uh, we kind of just start off by letting you tell your story and, and how you've gotten to your current point. So how did you first get involved in the esports on air side of things? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say for anyone out there listening, I- I'm not Jeff Kaplan from Overwatch. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Jordan Kaplan, the call of duty player. Uh, I'm not Jackson Kaplan, a coach for some Overwatch league team. Uh, or the other million Jay Kaplan's that are out there that I always get confused <laughs> with, or or Sirius J, who does the Howard Stern show. I'm not him either. I get a lot of those DMs. For me, my whole casting career started. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of a sad, bushy story, um, and I'm so glad my girlfriend's right next to me to hear this because she's going to be so happy. It's about uh, a breakup I had. So I used to play video games a lot, like dating back to when I was younger. Uh, I have a brother and a sister. Uh, both older they never really got along with me that much but they got along together pretty well well as well as they can be for siblings i guess uh so they would go out and, like do stuff together and i would kind of be like left alone with no one to play with so i started to play video games a lot as uh, like a way to do something right um and my parents always like encouraged me to kind of doing that i think i'm starting maybe a little bit too far back maybe i can go further you know nope, so my mom okay. my mom and dad met uh, a long time ago <laughs> um so I play video games a lot and my, my dad was always supportive of it in terms of like, he'll buy me, you know, a game that I really want or surprise me with like the next generation of a console that came out. And by next generation, I mean like the Super Nintendo because I'm very old. So they always supported it. My dad would play with me and my brother once in a while. My sister didn't really care much about video games. So fast forward like 20 something odd years. I'm with my first girlfriend and we both played video games quite a bit together. We played like Left 4 Dead back then. That was like my first big esports game, I guess you could say, though I did play like the likes of Counter-Strike back in the day, a little bit of StarCraft Road War, even though it was absolutely garbage, but the bound maps were my favorite. Um, So playing video games a lot, had a breakup and I kind of like, uh, I got very depressed. I was even like a little bit suicidal at some points uh, because of what happened with all the breakup and everything like that. And um, I had no job at the time, and I had this idea of like, you know, I want to try to give YouTube a chance. I want to see if I can make anything of myself from that. And luckily, my parents were supportive of that. Um, They said, okay, we'll give you six months. Um, You can try to make it work. But after that, if it doesn't work out, you need to get a real job. So I was playing a lot of League of Legends back then. And I was, I would say, decently ranked. I was like 1900 around there, if if anyone knows League from back in the days before they had this tier system um, that they currently use and this like League system. And in one of these games, I met a guy named Nat Nguyen, who was a pro player back then. And I asked him, because he's on the other team, like, hey, I'm thinking about starting up this, this interview series. Uh, would you be interested in potentially being on it? And he said, yeah, sure. So I got in contact with him. I did my first interview series called Ulton 10 with him. And from him, he led me to the likes of like Dyrus, Doublelift, um, Salse, like pretty much any big league player you could think of back in the day that even some of them are still relevant today. I did some interviews with. And, and I realized that like these, these are these are nice, but in terms of like making revenue, it's not really going to work out too well at the time because people didn't really care that in depth about pro players. So I kind of like theorized and thought about for a while, like what kind of new video content I can make. 
And this is the one that kind of like broke me out for the pack. I made this interview series, or not interview series, a series called, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name. <laughs> oh my God, how did I not remember the name? It was like a Mythbusters-like type series. Um, uh. So it's basically like, if this happens and that happens, what would be the outcome? I'm, I'm actually really mad that I don't remember the name. Uh, so I did this little series and it got some steam. Um, Riot ended up seeing this video. They ended up promoting the, ver the video. I had like 400,000 hits on, on one video alone from it. Um, and that kind of got me in contact with some like other YouTubers like Spazzy, who's still you know relatively big YouTuber, CivHD. Um, and for some reason, I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give commentating a go. Now, I, I did try it once back in the day for Counter-Strike Source, um, and I was I was terrible. I, I had no idea what to say. I really had no idea what to do back then. And I, I just gave it a go. I did look a little fun practice cast with them, and it turned out okay. It turned out all right. I think that video is actually still up on my old YouTube channel. And uh, and from there, like I got, uh, I think I think I got contacted by Monte Cristo for a tournament he was putting on. It was like the GG Chronicle League of Legends tournament. And he's like, hey, would you be interested in like casting a couple of games? Like, yeah, sure. So we got together, you know, like a, a good amount of, of people. And, and I gave it a go and it didn't turn out that bad. And where it really kicked off now was the fact that Joe Miller at the time, uh, I didn't know who he was. Uh, he didn't know who I was. Uh, he put out a tweet asking, do any of you guys have any new and up and coming commentators like that you enjoy? If you do, like send a link my way and I'll check it out. Uh, and apparently someone sent him one of my commentary videos I did, which again was just kind of for fun. And he forwarded over to his boss. Um, you probably actually know who I'm talking about if I said his name, but I'm going to keep it private for now. Uh, and he contacted me. And, and to be honest, I'm like, look at this email. And it's like, hey, you know, we saw your videos and we're interested in, you know, bringing you to Germany to become a full-time commentator. And I thought it was absolute bullshit. I was like, what? Who, who just reaches out to someone randomly? Like, hey, you want a job in Germany? But I was, I was contacted by them and I was talking to IPL at the same time uh, in San Francisco. Uh, which is unfortunately like a dead company now. If you guys know Nick Allen, he was a big part of it as well, um, about potentially like working for them. And unfortunately at the time, like they didn't have any openings and they were they were having some struggles. So I was like, you know what? Germany, you know, I can do it. I can move halfway across the world from California to Germany and make something work. And uh, kind of the rest is history from there. Like just, it's so weird. I feel like most people out there can kind of trail or trace back their like start to one thing. For me, the breakup, or if you want to go further back to not having as Saul's relationship with my siblings as my brother and sister did, that like ignited the whole esports career for myself. That's amazing. That's a really cool story. I mean, it's it's awesome that you like it's such like a defined point. I mean, mm. a lot of people can do that, but then there's also like I feel like it's half that and then half just kind of like yeah, I just kind of like fell into it before I knew it. I was casting like bigger <laughs> things. Yep. But like for you, you're, you're, I mean, you're one of the first uh, guests on my podcast that is coming like from the very beginnings of League of Legends, which has obviously become one of the biggest esports. Um, as far as where it is now, might not be as important for the for this particular subject as it is. But it's fascinating to hear that you you were there towards more of the beginning uh, of League of Legends, which ended up really pushing uh, esports to a, to a new level and kind of leading the charge on the whole idea of like imbuing the game with the esport. Mm -hmm which is something that StarCraft, which came up before and did start the, the revolution of esports, you know, 2010, uh, couldn't push through, you know, and there is that very famous talk show with Destiny and, and In Control and all them that like he was pointing out all these things and they were like, now don't worry about it. Uh, and, you know, time has been unfavorable to the, uh, the non-Destiny guests of that, of that show. But 
it's fascinating to hear. So you were there kind of at the the groundworks. You're talking about all these people who are now, you know, not just super famous commentators, but you've even moved on into the behind the scenes roles. They've become influential in, in, in broadcasts as well as just general esports management. So that that's an amazing story. So, but you were there at the beginning. So, so what year yeah. was it when uh, you were contacted to go to Germany exactly? Uh, 2012. Uh, I think it was somewhere around like April or March. Maybe I got contacted about it and they had to work out like some finer things of whether or not I could move. Uh, and then I actually did move to Germany in July of 2012. Um, and that was before LCS began. That was like during the like what IEM season. I want to say like six or seven and something like really early on uh, when they still had like, you know, Starcraft League of Legends and Counter-Strike wasn't really even a thing anymore for them. Mm hmm. Yeah, there was that awkward period where, I mean, you mentioned that you commented Source, which I kind of chuckled at just because, like, Source what? is a forgotten middle child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, but that, you know, that was what's happening. And that's why, um, so, you know, for people who don't, you know, don't know the history of esports, and a lot of people don't, it feels like a lot of people got in kind of around 2015 for, for a lot of StarCraft people, but I think that's fair. in general, really, it's felt when it, when it really hit another level uh, around that year. But anyway, so you had StarCraft II come out. It, it worked alongside Justin TV, turns into Twitch, uh, really ushers in this new age of esports. League of Legends is coming in as the new kid. Um, they're now suddenly, like, everyone's eyes are on them. Like, can they do it? Can they, can they continue pushing forward? And then Counter-Strike was actually nothing for a while because Source was, I guess, universally considered as, as unideal, mediocre, <laughs> <Hated>. <laughs> whatever you Hated. want. And then even when uh, Go came out, it wasn't good either. So it took a little while for CS to, to yeah. really come into its own. I think that's that's completely fair, actually. Because um, so I actually casted Counter Strike uh, or CS:GO like very in the very early days. I, I think I have some like casts up in 2012, 2013. I think more so 2013, uh, where I was casting like an ESL Meisterschaft, which is like a German championship with like joe miller and with red eye actually like way way back in the day before your anders and semlers before well i'd say alongside your anders and semlers not before uh but before your henry g's your sadikis your you know uh sponge and machines uh mm -hmm. it was kind of like us five ish maybe six if you want to include pansy in that one as well but she got hired later on and then it just blew up um quite quite big which is nice yeah um so not to get too far ahead of ourselves though but there was a timeline of i guess the, some of the biggest esports and Mm -hmm. um, League of Legends is currently the biggest. Counter Strike's right behind them, and then I guess you know there's Dota. But um, so you're there uh, in 2012. You're you're one of those special cases in esports that does exist for a lot of people. Where they're like, I, you know, got reached out to after having a very limited amount of time, and they're like, we need bodies, come over here. And you were in a perfect time and place to say yes. So that was during the six months that your parents gave you, or was that? A little bit yeah. longer than that. Okay. So I think it was, um, I can't remember the exact dates to be honest, but I think it was around the six month period. I, I think like, obviously I said like, I needed to show them I can make money from YouTube and they didn't really believe me at first. And then I started to like, you know, rake in a oh, hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars there. And they started to believe it. And then this kind of opportunity came up and, and I felt like maybe my heart wasn't into making like YouTube content consistently. Like, I don't think I was creative enough or good enough with like Photoshop and video editing tools to do anything like that. So I just decided to, to make the leap into it. And that was a, a full-time gig. Like how many days were you working with yeah. only League of Legends? Uh, so for, okay. So that's, I, I got hired on the basis that I would only do League of Legends. I wanted to like confirm that with them because i wasn't sure about other games i wasn't sure about commentating as, in general because i didn't know how i would be able to do at it 
Um, so initially, initially it was like, okay, League of Legends, um, and it was like a normal, you know, normal job. Well, as normal as it can be in esports, where it'd be like Monday through Friday, weekends off. But obviously, if you have show days, then your weekend would change a little bit. So it was, it was pretty standard. We, we covered a lot of things like uh, Meister Shafts. We covered like IM qualifiers into IM events. The first event I ever did was actually Gamescom in 2012. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with Gamescom, is it's it's this big esports, not esports, this big gaming convention that happens uh, out here in Cologne. I think one of the biggest in the world, if I'm not mistaken, that sees the likes of you know 200 to 400 thousand people a day or throughout the entire event show up. So it's it's insane. But that it was yeah, it was kind of like a, a normal normal ish job, I guess you could say, with a with a steep learning curve in the beginning. So when you came in, did you feel like you were a commentator because you were so new to the field? Or... Hell no! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I came in there. I have pictures of me with my how I dressed and my hair and and really having no clue. And I mean, at the time, I I actually when we before I got hired, I didn't really know who Joe was. But the more and more that I like started to look into the actual job, I realized that he was like a pretty big commentator, and it was a pretty big deal to be like his his partner at the time. So I was kind of like shitting my pants, like in the first the first cast, honestly, because I didn't know what to do. Like, I, again, it's like you're imagine a job you've never had before that you like tried once. And then you're like, OK, this is your full time job now. Sit down and, and talk about this game for, you know, six, seven, eight hours a night. It was just it was daunting as hell. So did you start trying to practice commentary? Did you focus on just learning the game? I mean, what did you try to do? What was a goal to be the best commentator? Or were you just trying to get your feet underneath you? Like, what was your process kind of during that beginning time? Uh, it was definitely focused on keeping my head above water, I'd say. <laughs> I think I think that's kind of the story of esports is you either sink or swim. And at the time, I was just trying to, yeah, just trying to breathe as much as I possibly could. I, I was already decent at the game. Like, I, for a long time, was the highest-rated commentator in League of Legends in Europe. Generally, in every game I play, or every game I cast, I'm generally, like, one of, the, like, the, the higher-ranked ones because I, I like to really know the ins and outs of the game. So back then, I think my focus wasn't necessarily on the game because I already knew the game, you know, as a base. Like, I, I played at a decent level. It was more of, like breaking out of my shell i've always been a really shy person especially when i was younger and then all of a sudden like i think everyone out there even if you are shy you have that one topic you could discuss with someone and it, you just completely can talk like as if you've never were shy to begin with and it was more about like transitioning out of my shell and being able to talk but also like learning the finer things of how to properly do commentary and and more importantly like how to properly be on camera like I had no clue like where to look. I had if I had to do production, I had to like learn how to make the graphics in a break screen and throw up the right scenes and stuff like that. So I think my focus wasn't really on my like quality of casting. It was more about just slowly getting into what I'm supposed to be doing and like learning from, you know, day in, day out kind of thing. And did your peers ever, you know, reach out to help you? Was there some criticism? Ooh, yeah. Um I think that's a really tough topic, actually, because I don't, I don't want to like throw anyone under the boat or anything like that. You know, I don't want to like I, I feel like. Hmm. And maybe even till this day, I think commentary, most people are very, very protective of it. Um, for instance, if I'm a commentator in Game X, right, and there's this commentator coming into this game. It doesn't necessarily benefit me to help that commentator who potentially could take my job down the line. If you were to look at that way, right? There's, there's obviously many ways you can look at it. Um, so I feel like I could have had definitely more help in the beginning 
in terms of it. But at the same time, I think it really forced me to rely on myself, which was also nice because, I mean, this is my first time living not at my parents' place, like to live on my own in another country, doing a job I've never done before, experience all this that I've never had in my life. Um, so it taught me to rely on myself and to kind of like focus on myself a bit. But I definitely feel like early on, it was a little bit rough learning what to do because I, I, don't, I, I don't know, because like, I, don't, I don't want it to sound like Joe wasn't helpful in any way. It was more of like, I wish I had someone that I could sit there and talk to and like work through the whole processes behind like how to properly commentate. But, mm. but at the same time, there were things that Joe taught me that I even keep within my commentary till this day. Like for instance, one of them being, I'm not the star of the show. The players are the star of the show. If I'm doing an interview with someone, I'm not the star. It's all about telling their story and making them the priority when it comes to a show, which sadly these days has actually changed quite a bit, I'd say. Yeah, that's a whole yeah, interesting topic we can get into oh, yeah. a, a little while later. But kind of on the topic of of mentors, it's um it's something that I've I've thought about, which is like, you know, when we talk about traditional sports, you can actually look to a ton of people as mentors. They've written books, they've done series, some of them probably even have classes, probably, right? That you can look to. But when it came to esports, especially especially back in 2012, um, everyone was probably feeling, even if they were more secure. Everyone was probably feeling like they were either sinking or swimming, right? Like they were all trying to keep their head above water. I think there was a lot of people still learning themselves yeah, at the exactly. time. Like I think maybe like for instance, Red Eye, Joe, Demon. I think if you look back to like Quad TV, though those are some of the few, like even Tosspot in there that like kind of already had years and years of experience. So they they kind of generally knew what they were doing. But then you look at the likes of Quickshot, who was on LCS with me back in the day. Like him and I were kind of in the same same sense of like what are we doing like what what do we do to get better you know we didn't really have that kind of groundwork under us yet but there were there yeah. were a select few but it definitely is not like it is today right exactly and even today i mean it still is hard to compare right all the people who are, are pushing this industry forward are also still in the process of kind of learning themselves right we don't look upon a, a 60 70 year old guy who's retired and be like yep that was that was the golden uh, standard artosis and tasis are quite up there <laughs> they're getting there yeah soon they'll be the the golden standard of retirees <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it, it is so different, you know, because sometimes it is really hard to find that mentor who even feels like they're in a capacity to mentor someone, right? Like, yeah, there's definitely a case of I'm sure some people being a little bit guarded about, you know, like, I don't, I don't want you to take my job, bro. But yeah, I, I, there's also just that criticism in general is very hard to give and receive. Yes. Kind of, that's a whole problem that exists. Like you could be working with someone and even told like, you're going to work with this person for six months. And if they're, you know, interrupting you or they, they clearly don't know the game or something, it can still be very hard to, to broach that subject and be like, look, dude, like, come on, let's 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 work together. Right. Um, so I think that's still a difficulty in in any any year of esports, any role uh, of esports is to actually have those conversations. It's it's something that kind of transcends even commentary. It's that mental realization of like, this is your job and you need to act professional. So like, for instance, in, in esports right now for like teams, I think there's a lot of like um, players who pick up friends to be on their teams rather than someone that they that works well for the team. Uh, I feel like people, I mean, there's like, there's a level of camaraderie that I understand when you look at esports and sports, you know, comparing teams. But I think in sports, people see it more of a profession or see it more of a profession 
you know, even if they have beef with someone or they don't like someone that's on their team, they're still going to perform to the best of their ability. And so is the other one. At least mm -hmm. that's, that's what I hope. But I feel like in esports, it's more friendships. You know, I, I think like one of my best um, duos that I've had was uh, Mitch Leslie, who works on Overwatch League. Uh, and I started to do some Valorant and stuff like that. And I think Brawl Stars at the moment, him and I were just like really good friends. So it's really easy to get feedback to each other. Like we would go to the gym together, play games together. We would go do a show together. But I think it's on that, on that note of like giving feedback, if it's someone that you're not really good friends with, I think they get really, um, their, their guard comes up really quickly and they're like, oh, I think you're wrong. And if you criticize me, I'm going to criticize you. I think it's like what, like what you're saying. It's really hard to give feedback to anyone properly. But I will say like the newer people that are coming into esports these days seem to be a lot more open to it. It does seem to be that way, right? Um, it might be a little more of that whole, like, everyone is a pioneer. It was the wild, wild west back in the day. So everyone felt like they were going to be the one to kind of, like, push, you know, what it should be. Maybe there was a little bit of that. Um, and now it is, like, you'll, like, oh, my goodness, I was watching Valorant, and there was, like, two literally 16-year-old guys casting. And I was, like, they're really good, and they're super young. Yeah. And for them, they can look at people who are 35 and be like, wow, that person is clearly my senior who I can get amazing feedback from. Let's let's go. Whereas, yeah, maybe back eight years, nine years ago, uh, it was a more like, well, I mean, maybe older than me, but like you worked in <laughs> esports for much longer than me. Like, no, not really. So I, I think example. it has... Sorry, sorry to catch up. A good example that actually is um, like PUBG Mobile that I'm doing. Um, there's this one guy who used to watch me from my LCS days in 2012, 2013. And he, I mean, he has that level of respect for me because he's like, yeah, you've been doing this a long time. I used to watch you when I was younger. And I think if you look at those 16 year olds who are casting Valorant, I think they've watched and grown up on, you know, mm -hmm. the, the current commentators that we have and they learn from them and they're willing to, you know, listen to them because, hey, they've been in the business eight years, you know. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot less of like, um, instead of coming up kind of around the same time and, and feeling that you're both kind of figuring things out, there is a lot more of that set in stone. Like I've watched you, because I think it's different if like, um, as someone who watched, you know, easy example, Bay 9, I, I think a lot of people watched Bay 9 when StarCraft first came out and, you know, they'd, they'd immediately take feedback from Dan, especially because he's such a nice guy. You'd figure that he'd be oh, yeah. one of the nicest guys to get feedback from. Um, but maybe people who came up with him we're you know obviously seeing him more as a peer and they're like i don't know if your way is really the best way you know that that whole discussion makes sense but i think for general and feedback you know what we've learned here over talking to many people is that if you can focus on bettering the broadcast as like a team then that's yeah. kind of where you really can start to communicate well there's a there's a common goal uh, as opposed to just feeling like you're attacked which is really important and does get a lot easier when you're friends with something someone because usually your friendship also is around this uh, collective passion of not just a game, but also of of commentary. So, I mean, sometimes people will will you know definitely poo poo on the idea of of bringing friends in, and they should because sometimes it's a bad idea. Sometimes your friend isn't good; they're not good for the broadcast, whatever, whatever. But since commentary is so much about chemistry, right, and having this open line of communication, it is, I would say, a lot of the times going to be absolutely crucial to befriending these people and yeah. actually having conversations with them. I, I want to say really quickly as a tidbit, day nine was the only person I ever got starstruck from meeting back at Gamescom in 2012 when I got to go to the StarCraft area and like introduce myself. But yeah, so uh, on that note, I, I feel like if you look at sports commentary versus esports commentary, 
there's there's a complete difference where there's a, I think an entirely different entertainment level expected when it comes to esports, and I feel like that's kind of changed over time. It's gotten more and more dependent on being entertaining, whereas back in the day you would just want to like obviously commentate on what's happening. People want to see the teams, want to see the players do well. But I feel like now it's kind of transitioned to the the point of you want these you want to watch for the commentators sometimes and you're watching for the entertainment the jokes they make the like the interpersonal jokes they make between each other and stuff like that and and the how well they they work off each other more so than just two people casting side by side to just bring you the game which is it's kind of it's kind of frustrating i feel like because i think back when i started it was again like i said before like when it comes to interviews it's more about the the player but now it's becoming more about your own um brand that you're bringing to it you know like the way our tasis artosis like have these really good jokes and the way they do with downtime um it's more about your individual brand more so than i i feel like sometimes your actual commentary skills and that's not to knock on our tasis artosis at all it's more to knock on the the companies who are bringing in influencers to do commentary now when they never were a commentator to begin with and don't actually know how how to be a proper commentator yeah yeah, that's one of the most fascinating, like complex subjects that we can discuss here. It's that, you know, this idea of, of branding being far more important than the actual skill. Yes. You know, ideally skill will eventually show itself, but it, it you know, it's going to take a lot longer. You make a funny video, it gets really popular. You get a, a gig that seems to be the quickest path to uh, to some type of success. You just try and hone in on your skills, talk clearer, have a wider vocabulary, know the game more. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot of gigs before people are like, wait a second, they, they actually know what they're talking about or, or what have you. So on that subject, um, did you figure this part along, you know, years back when you're doing League of Legends where you're like, okay, I need to start branding myself or did you focus entirely on on the craft and improving it? Uh, I, I think I went with the way the old guard approached it of the craft more so around it than my own personal brand. I actually, so... The most of the feedback I've gotten, even like dating to, let's just say like late last year, was that my brand is probably one of the weakest things I have. I don't have really anything unique about my style or my personality that you can just like listen to be like, okay, that's Jason or something. Because I've never was really brought up in the commentary mind of like it being about me, you know? Um, so I never really focused on having my own brand and having my own unique style compared to anyone else. It's It's always been about people just listen to me to like keep engaged with the game. They care about the players more than me, which is is totally fine. I'd rather be selfless in that sense of making the players look better because that's how I was taught. So I feel like I actually kind of like hamstrung myself by, by focused on that more than branding. So, because uh, I can think of one event in particular, BlizzCon 2016. I was picked up to do interviews and in typical style, I started with doing interviews. Like I said before, the way I was taught about doing interviews is to talk about the player, make them shine, not yourself. And as I'm doing the interview or when I was done with, with some of the interviews, the feedback I got from Blizzard was, yeah, you're just not memorable enough on camera. And I'm like, what? Like, that's literally my job is to make people listen to the player, make them shine and not make me stand out at all because it's about the players. We're making stars out of them. And that was the feedback I got. And I was like, that's fucked up in, in my opinion, because I feel like I nailed my job there, but they're not happy because I didn't stand out enough, which it, it, to me, it makes no sense. But with the way esports is going, I, I can understand it now of like, that's what you should be doing more so of, but it's just not how I was taught or really what I believe in what's done right. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. It does make a lot of sense, but it is uh, like really 
it's a quandary. I don't, I don't know even where to where to begin here. Is it's, it's one of the first times I feel like I've heard this. Of course, I've talked to people about branding, and they're like, "Yeah, it's probably a good thing if you have like a particular brand." And I think you know, it, it's easier when you you know, are known for a particular thing. But to have a example right then and there, uh, literally direct feedback, which you know, is quite harsh. You're not memorable. Yeah. Something yeah. to say to someone. Yeah, that's 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 fascinating in a you know. I'm looking from the outside kind of thing, right? Um, it's probably not fascinating for you. But not the we, moment, I guess. Yeah, yeah, not at the moment, yeah. But that so I guess let me pick your brain and your thoughts on on this subject. So you kind of learned this a little more recently than some other things. Uh, have you then adapted to the esports style or are you kind of are you is this the equivalent of a YouTuber finally putting reaction faces on their thumbnails? Like they just have to kind of like oh, no. dig into it, right? Or do you think that there is still like a pathway for the the stalwart, you know, I'm going to just increase my skill? Is that still something that you think is working out for you? Hmm. So now so I'm tempted to talk about something that I haven't made like super public, but it's been kind of known. Like I, I feel like, so I did League of Legends into Counter-Strike into overwatch with a lot of like smaller games in between and i told myself after overwatch i'd be done commentating because I've, I've 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 been in a major league of legends esport and didn't exceed past the first year but that's a little bit more complicated uh csgo um i didn't get to where i wanted to be but that's a topic i can't fully go into necessarily and then overwatch i think i got completely fucked over by blizzard when it came to that in particular um, so I told myself I wasn't going to do it anymore. Like I was going to be done if Overwatch doesn't work out. Then I ended up finding like another game after that I wanted to stick around with. And I've been kind of just enjoying, I guess, taking the experience that I've learned and applying it to other people. I feel like actually my my commentary career is probably close to over. Mm. Um, I, I think there's a massive shelf life. Like it's a, there's an obvious shelf life when it comes to commentary. Um, like one good example, I guess, is you look at your Joe Millers or your Demons. Joe Miller... He he got out at a relatively good time when he was at his peak, and he like transitioned to being more talent management. Demon, um, he had his peak in League of Legends. Uh, CS didn't work out well from Overwatch. Didn't work out well for him, and and now he's he's kind of not been able to hit back to that like tier or triple A esport and and be one of the top commentators that he used to be. So in my mind, I've already like started transition away from being a commentator uh, and more behind the scenes because I, I feel like my runs getting close to being done. Which kind of fits perfectly well with what I'm what I'm doing right now because I'm I'm working a lot in PUBG Mobile and I'm actually been hired to be like a talent lead for PUBG Mobile through um, through uh, the company. So I'm basically taking my experience that I've had as a commentator and like applying it to everyone else, helping all the other talent improve and and helping facilitate a lot of the problems or I guess alleviate a lot of the problems that we used to have as talent so they don't happen anymore for other people. So I I think. Most commentators are going to have to like look at that of when when do I get out of it? And maybe the branding didn't work out too well for me, which, again, I'm not really, like, really sad on necessarily. I feel like I'm not that type of person to be egotistical and, and want everything to be about me, me, me. But I think I've realized like my time's up soon. And I, I think mm. I provide um, a niche that a lot of people can't have of I've been in front of the camera for such a long time. I was there since the beginning. Like I've seen how the scene's grown. I've learned a lot of tricks and then i can take all that knowledge put it in behind the scene that not many people can offer up at the moment absolutely true um i think the uh the world of of 
broadcaster, esports on air, like education, I guess let's use that umbrella term is uh, it's like time to invest. It's like the songs will go up very soon yeah. <laughs> as more people get into it. Esports gets bigger, more, more young people get into it, right? More people are going to need guidance. Like it, it's definitely something that's interesting. Uh, I know Gillyweed, I don't know if mm-hmm. it's exactly the same boat, right? But she, she did heroes and then well, heroes just, yeah. That happened with Heroes. Then she did Rocket League, and and she was you know really you know loved in Rocket League too. But then she decided that at some point she wanted to to move on and and started working with Psionics as more of that kind of bridge between the talent and the production, kind of giving you know talent management, player management, talent coach, like you know the whole yeah you know bundle of hats you have to wear to be in esports. And I thought she would, you know, I obviously think she was great at it. Now she's working with um, a different company. But yeah, it sounds like something that's going to be incredibly useful. And that's someone who has years and years of experience and who's thought critically on these things as well. And, and you know, you're, you're the type of guy that I enjoy talking to the most on these podcasts, honestly, because I think you, you got like, you know, very critically on this, are, are going to be able to communicate. And you've also kind of done it the, sometimes the hard way as well, right? Like admitting like, yeah, it kind of sucked that I, I couldn't do this or that, but you've learned through. And I feel like I actually think it's the best teachers as well. I feel like I'm just sitting here being like, yeah, go for it. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I don't mean to tell you to stop commentating, but I'm excited for it because I feel like the teachers out there who are the best teachers often did it through like, they learned through some great pains. They learned where they, they accept their own faults and, and mm-hmm. drawbacks. And now they can kind of push other people this way or the other because of it. I, uh, I'm, one of the most interesting things uh, I think to come in the next few years is what you're talking about is I guess what I'm conveying here. I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, just because of Starcraft background, tasteless and artosis, we we've seen what's happened with Starcraft too, unfortunately, or even, you know, Brood War, we've seen, unfortunately, the like the steady decline of support from Blizzard and, and, and support, I guess, over in Korea now um, with things starting to be shut down. Uh, And then they're forced to move into another game. And now I know they have a massive brand behind them, but are they going to be as well received in Valorant or PUBG that they're doing now as they were in StarCraft. And and I think there will be some viewers that carry over because they just love them so much. But I don't I don't know if they're necessarily be as big as some of the other people who have been, you know, doing specifically that genre for a lot longer or have kind of um spread themselves thin across or not thin, but spread themselves out across multiple esports. Monte Cristo or Monte Cristo and Doha, they were massive in League of Legends in Korea. They transitioned over to Overwatch after everything that happened with Riot, and I don't feel like they ever hit that same kind of stride of being like the number one duo. Mm-hmm. I think there was there was other people that excelled uh, over them, unfortunately. And again, it's not a knock on their skill or anything like that, but I think that's maybe the downside of like uh, pigeonholing yourself into one game and one game only. And it's 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 unfortunate, but I feel like the older we all get, you know, I'm I'm 32. I'm not young. You know, Artosis has kids. Uh, you look at Anders, he has kids as well. I think the freelance life, albeit kind of maybe glorified in terms of like, if you get a, you know, a gig every month or multiple gigs in a row, you know, you're always, you know, around the world, you know, pre-COVID times and you're, you're making pretty damn good money, I'll be honest. But I don't want to have to depend on getting kind of lucky and getting a gig you know, for next month to be able to support a family or to support kids or to buy a house or something, you know? So I feel like the older our generation of esports personalities get, the more likely and more often you're going to see them going behind the scenes, uh, behind the camera for a full-time job so they have that steady income. Because that's that's one of the most nerve-wracking things about being freelance is just never knowing when your next gig is, never knowing 
you know, if that TO is going to pay you on time or, you know, it, or if that game is going to continue to want to use you because the publishers might change their mind. They might find someone new. It's, it's a very, like, you're always in this, like, state of, like, fear, I guess. Maybe not, like, obviously, like, it's a, a horror movie, but you're always that, that wonder in your head and your brain just really gets to you. And I think over time, people are like, you know what? Fuck this. I, I don't want to have to worry about any of the stuff. I'll take a lower income job. But if it means I can depend on having that job for years and depend on putting food on the table for kids or something like that, then I think, you know, you will transition. And also the pressure of, you know, the 16-year-olds you mentioned who are coming up in, in, in the scene, the newer generation who listen to your commentary, who even studied about broadcasting skills, they're going to be better than you, period. It's going to happen, like technicality-wise, knowing how to brand themselves better on social media and, and making content. I think there is a... a a time not time bomb but there is an end to most people's careers nowadays in terms of being in front of a camera and the sucky thing is that sometimes it's not a point where we'd want to accept it but it's still oh, yeah. a point where oh, yeah. we have to and then that's the always the scary thing you brought it up like i think just the constant anxiousness you have in your mind being in this industry is because you constantly have to think about reinventing yourself you can never just kind of like be you chill in a solid work uh, for you know a year at least like no you have to constantly think about what's coming next even in a relatively safe esports such as csgo because not only could the tos um just be like no i don't like you anymore or the publishers or what have you the game itself could no longer be something viable for working in which is just not something you hear about in like any other industry really you know you know like, i, I want to jump in on that actually about cs because there, there's been some times. I don't know if you know if everyone out there follows us as close as they do other esports, but I think when you are freelance and you are one of like the AAA commentators for that title, like one of the you know best best duos, you have this um, this lingering fear that if you miss an event, then you might like fuck over your career. I, I can think to like Anderson Sembler uh, in particular, I guess, or just to name like a popular duo to take every gig they possibly get offered, which means, you know, you're gone for months at a time from being home because they don't want to let, and this isn't necessarily like to knock them, by the way, I think it's, it's perfectly understandable, but you don't want to miss an event or not do an event to either a lose out on the opportunity of the TO rehiring you or b letting another duo who normally wouldn't have that opportunity because they want you to get in there and potentially take any gigs away. I look at Harry and Hugo right now, and they've been on uh, their CS commentators uh, over in England. They've been on such a massive grind for three, four years, if not longer than that, in CS. And only recently, after grinding that entire time, they've been able to break through um, due to some conflicts with like other commentators um, not wanting to do a certain gig or the rates not aligning properly. And then they got their breakout moment. And then the TO's like, okay, you're great. We want to keep using you. And that's also like a massive fear when it comes to talent of like, if I say no to event, will I lose all that potential income down the line? Will I lose my job down the line? It's it's tough. There's no place it's really safe. I think it's an important thing to to think of. We sometimes can look at people who seem to be very solid on top of the food chain in a particular game and be like, oh, well, maybe they don't have to worry as much, but that's not really true. They're constantly still worrying about losing that top spot and then, you know, being forced to to reduce their pay, um, which they've worked for years to to make a you know a living uh livable mm -hmm. salary. So and then, you know, there's the conflict of they don't want to be um, brought down is not the, the right phrase, but they don't want to you know decrease their rates. But then these other guys who are putting in the hours, putting in the grind, 
obviously either they want to get to the top of the pyramid. And that's another thing that a lot of people get stuck on in esports is that they think like because these guys who are doing this for so long and who keep on taking all the jobs and are at the top of the pyramid, keep doing it, I feel like I'm capped out and I'm not even I'm not even doing that much. I'm not even like doing that many premiere gigs or whatever. That's and that's a, a frustrating feeling. Oh, that's a completely like different topic as well. You look at hmm. Maybe, maybe StarCraft, because maybe because I want to ask you about this, it'd be like the easiest way to go about it. The the guard doesn't seem to change too often in terms of like the commentary or the the, the commentators, right? I feel like you mm-hmm. generally see would see, at least I guess when it was more of like circuit events of having like consistent IEMs happening, dream hacks happening. Um, you would see like the same commentators over and over and over again. And there wouldn't be many opportunities for anyone to really break out, which is a completely whole another thing of like, how do you ever break out in esports? How do you, you know, make yourself unique compared to everyone else? But at some point you have to ask yourself, am I just bashing my head against a wall and I'm never going to break through? Do I need to switch to another game? Because I, I think there's there's commentators of passion who like see one game and they're like, okay, that's the only game I ever want to work on. I love this game so much. I never want to change away from it. And then there's commentators for a profession who just want to commentate. Like they want to make this their living and they're willing to switch games and stuff like that. Um, and I think when you're one of those people who's like stuck under this glass ceiling that you can't seem to break through, you have to ask yourself, do I keep trying in this game or do I look at other games? Do I try to make this a career or is it just a passion for me? Which again, I'm not trying to knock the passion at all. I think those are probably some of the best people you can work with actually, because they always want to strive to make the product better. But sometimes like you're not really going to break through that glass ceiling ever. And you have to make that hard decision like I made in League of Legends. I I mean, when I didn't get rehired by Riot, which is, oh, that's a topic I mean, I probably could talk about, but I don't know if I can still get in trouble for that anymore. I had to ask myself, like, without LCS, what would I be doing? Like, should I just quit commentating? Should I move to another game? And and luckily working at ESL at the time, I had the opportunity to, to try other games, right? And I don't think necessarily everyone has that opportunity because then you're like, even if you get into like the middle of the pack, like, you know, the middle of the pyramid when it comes to like the casting food chain, you move to another game. If you haven't built up enough brand or, recon- or recognizability, English is hard. Um, recognition. <laughs> yeah, recognition. Thank you. <laughs> then you fall off that pyramid. You fall back down. And then it's a big grind again to get back up the pyramid. I think there's been some people who can transition really easily across multiple esports and be fine. But it's it's that grind that makes it even harder you know, of mm-hmm. what's your goal in esports? Do you want to be seen as um, a top of the tier caster duo? Are you okay just doing it for a living and, and making money, you know, per month? It's 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 frustrating as hell. Yeah, I think you put it uh, in a very like good succinct way that I haven't I haven't heard yet. But there's the commentators of passion, the commentators of, of like the business professional side. I think it's a, a brilliant way to put it. Something that I've been struggling with. So you're you know speaking to my heart right now. <laughs> you know, because because StarCraft, you know, there's only so many spots. You know, we don't even bring that many commentators to our events when we have events during the not COVID years. Uh, it's it's five per event with maybe like six events, like six to ten, I suppose, like five main ones, some random ones, right? That you know, even as me, I'm I'm in the middle there. You know, Roddy's kind of being invited to everything, so he's right. kind of upward. But then there's yeah, there there was, I should say, kind of at this point. It's not necessarily the case anymore, but there was that ceiling of like, well, Tastosis will never be beaten. You know, their, their branding's too powerful, their chemistry's too powerful. 
they they're you know they're, they're very good at what they do walking archon yeah exactly um like what, what are you going to do against that right like the and even if you try to emulate what they're doing try to be like you know if i was like hey maynard let's be an archon together we could never be in studio together he lives in australia I live in america we could never do a consistent gig because that doesn't exist in, in starcraft and like them yeah you know so many reasons why you can't do what you know these people above you are, are, are doing so you know at some point you ask yourself like well do I want to keep, you know, putting my, my head against this wall over and over again? Or can I find out what I like about this? And as you were saying, if I was someone who was like, you know what, StarCraft's the only thing I ever enjoyed. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a dead person everywhere else. Then, you know, I, I feel like I'd be a little screwed. And that would suck. But it, it's something that has actually happened. I've actually identified that personally. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little screwed in that department. Like that, you know, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. I'm glad I could improve. I'm glad I have the community that I do, but I am a little stuck. There's not much yeah. more to, to grow in, in StarCraft, um, especially since we might have our own clock uh, ticking down with the, uh, the three-year contract coming up in 2023. So what else is there to do? So exactly what you said, I started to question myself. Do I like commentating StarCraft or do I like commentating? Yeah. And I am currently on that journey right now. I'll let you know how it goes in a, in a well, year plus. <laughs> I mean, you do have you do have a major upside, I feel like, in your case in particular. Is it StarCraft or is it RTS? I think that's a question you have to ask yourself, right? Do you like yeah. the real-time strategy or do you like StarCraft because of the lore behind it, because the units, because of how you grew up? But then you have, was it Frostbite? I'm, I'm so sorry if Frost I get the name wrong. Frost Giant, thank you. I mean, they're probably developing an RTS, uh, or mm -hmm. they are, I mean, they should be developing an RTS. And then you ask yourself, okay, is it the commentary side that I really appreciate of it? Or do I feel like I can maybe offer more to this game and this genre that I care so deeply about that I can help it excel behind the camera? And I'm, I mean, I'm just talking about you in particular because we're talking about that. But that, that's a question I think a lot of talent will ask themselves down the line as well, is like, can you help the genre succeed by then, you know, help, like being a consultant for the game, consultant for the company, or, or maybe you can go into the esports side of it. I think that's one of my goals, actually, is I think I recognized early on that casting is not going to work forever. I want to work in the esports department for a publisher in, in some aspect. You know, maybe that's a future for, for, I guess, you in particular. You know, it's, it's, it's a question and a lot of questions that I think every talent out there should be asking themselves. It's a question you have to, again, even if you're not willing to accept it. If I, you know, I, I, you brought up another good point, which is genre-specific stuff. There's a lot of people who can adapt quicker, uh, you know, seemingly anyways, um, between Apex to, to Valorant to CSGO to PUBG, mm -hmm. um, shooters being the general and then battle royales and, and whatnot below that genre. But anyways, like that seems to be something that's uh, I'm envious of. I watch people go from CSGO to Valorant because that's pretty obvious there, but then even include PUBG. And I'm like, well, that, that makes sense, you know, and, and I guess I could do that too if I wanted to get into Age of Empires, which... By the way, I do not. I figured I did not like that game. Found that out Aww, fairly recently. <laughs> oh, I love playing it casually, but uh, yeah. Anyways, but yeah, that's another issue. Is like, are you are you a genre commentator or are you a general commentator? Um, you know, what role do you enjoy? It's another thing that you can transition to. Because my point in bringing this up was that you have to ask yourself these questions, and then you have to try and be very honest with yourself if you are mm -hmm. if you're maxed out on where you are in particular. That doesn't mean that you can't do something else very closely related you know if you can go from being uh, an analyst to a host suddenly you might have a couple more opportunities right but then yep. if you need to get off air if that's no longer working for you just being on camera just isn't even leading anywhere 
and you're bringing up all these you know amazing other ideas that's only going to grow in the market as well. And the idea of like esports consultation is going to grow. It already is a market and it's full of a bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about. But then the people who are experienced and do have the proper resumes are going to come in as well. And yeah. that's going to be a whole other field that's still very closely related to esports. And I, I would absolutely love that. I, you remember how I said earlier when, um, when ESL approached me, I like made sure, okay, I only want to do League of Legends. I am so grateful and happy that I didn't stick to that when I did move to Germany, that I, I did spread myself out because I started as a color caster for League of Legends who could do a little bit of play-by-play. Um, Carmack even like messaged me, which gave me, I think, a lot of... Um, oh, help me. English is so hard. It gave me a lot right. of... Uh, <laughs> confidence oh. maybe oh, okay it, it, it gave me confidence that like maybe it's something i can do like a more more play-by-play-esque um and then i kind of realized if i if i want to spread out and do multiple games which i think honestly most casters should do in in some sense because i think it rounds you out as a commentator overall i've learned things in mobas that i implement into my casting of fps's that i implement into casts of, or casting of uh, battle royales i've even cast a starcraft once and and i think sounded okay I guess. Um, but because I did that, uh, because I experienced like more play-by-play roles, because I learned how to host in terms of being play-by-play, you know, like hosting the duo and stuff like that. I've actually like rounded myself out in general that technically I can go do analyst work. If I wanted it for another game, I could do, go do hosting. I mean, I'm doing CS hosting, even though I was a CS commentator initially. I'm doing PUBG mobile hosting, even though before that I really never hosted before. I think you just kind of get this nice little skill set uh, built around you. And I think, and I hope for a lot of like the new commentators out there that they're willing to ex- to try other roles just to kind of round themselves out and just get that experience. Because again, the experience that I gained from doing all of that, I can then turn into a job behind the scenes later on because of what I've gained uh, and learned over time. I like what you're saying. Absolutely. Everything that uh, I've, I've tried doing, I feel like it's helped me at my, my core, which is still pretty much an analyst uh, for StarCraft, but I've really worked on the play-by-play. I've tried the hosting thing. I've done the interviews. I've just tried to be eager whenever Mm -hmm. someone's like, can you do a thing? And I'm like, holy crap, I don't know if I can. Instead of saying that out loud, I go, yep, let's do it. Let's have some fun. And then I I try my best, right? You keep trying to learn, which is important in any any job and anything in life. It's important to always be trying to keep learning. Yep. Yeah. And usually if you approach something with gusto, at least you come off as, as, um, <laughs> genuine, you know, excited. Yep. So it, it's not the worst thing that can happen. Um, so we talked a lot about kind of like the general, like uh, theory crafting of esports, and I, I guess retiring from, from the on-camera stuff, but we also talked a lot about the specific skills and, and how, you know, you've worked on them. So let's focus in on that. So, you know, you've had so many jobs now and through many games, many, uh, positions and, and you've watched other people come and go rise to the top have to you know retire so what are some of the the big things that you've learned when it comes to to commentating specifically let's let's start with that that you think make a good commentator hmm things i've learned um i'd say firstly it's really hard to do anything by yourself I'd say one of like the easiest ways to help yourself learn and to help yourself succeed when it comes to commentating esports is to find someone who's very like-minded like you and that you can work with consistently um, to grow together. Because that person you can rely on to push you to want to be better, to help give you feedback to be better, 
um, and to obviously be able to sell yourself as a duo down the line. Um, if you do go at it individually, I think it's important to get used to the sound of your own voice and watching your own VODs back. Even though after eight, almost eight or almost nine years in now, um, I still hate listening to my own broadcast, my own hosting, and I hate hearing myself making mistakes, but it's something you have to get used to if you want to improve. The self-reflection period is is very important. Um, and then, hmm, I'd say obviously working on your brand, especially nowadays is important, like creating YouTube content, creating like podcasts like this, creating, you know, breaking down plays for more analytical when it comes to like other tournaments and stuff like that. We see so much content, but I'd also say it's important to try to find something unique that you can do. I, I feel like that's honestly, if I didn't think of something unique back in the day, I don't think I would have did anything better than, than something someone else was already doing. So finding a unique approach is very important. And then also, I think one of the biggest things is that when you do get somewhat established is don't burn bridges. Uh, I think it's really easy at esports um, because of, especially like back in the day, you know, we didn't fully know what we were doing. We we're kind of immature and didn't understand like, uh, you know, what our words would eventually do to us down the line. It can come back to haunt you. Anything that you you might say that pisses one publisher off could potentially be passed to another publisher and they might not want to work with you and stuff like that. Uh, and and, and that, not even publisher side of it, just like coworkers side. You know, I've had some commentators that I were, was friendly with in the beginning and then we kind of like grew apart and, and kind of started to not like each other. And, and that kind of stuff down the line, you never know what that person is going to be. You never know if they're going to then be um, the talent manager for an event and they're going to be like, oh, you know, fuck that guy. He was an <laughs> asshole to me back in the day. I don't want to hire him. Or someone who works for a publisher and is like, yeah, we don't want to include you in this game, you know? Um, so I'm not saying to please everyone, but I'm also not saying that you um, aren't allowed to express your feelings. Just, I'd say, be be careful about it. Do you want me to focus more on, like, the technical aspects? Because I, I, I kind of wanted to sit, like, kind of general of, like, how to properly set your mind right going into this whatever you felt was best the uh, the technical aspects okay. of it too are, are really interesting if you want to go into them but uh i mean i think i'm gonna probably bore a lot of people talking about like how to properly build up hype for play-by-play -play moments or, or such i disagree i would be really fascinated. okay be, that's a lot of what the podcast is about is trying to get more of the technical details since i feel like no podcast or content has actually done that <laughs> so okay so I, I something i've been I've been working a lot with uh, on some of the PUBG mobile talent is like, uh, like for is a certain topic of like how to properly con convey hype. I think most people out there in uh, in esports or just gaming in general will have two monitors, right? You'll you'll have a stream on on one screen that you're not really paying attention to, and you're like playing a game yourself, or you're you know reading an article or something like that. And this is something I learned like really early on that kind of stuck with me is you need to be able to grab their attention, right? You need to force them to want to look at that second monitor and be like, oh, what's happening over here? So ways you can do that are in terms or in, in, in how you get hype. If you're this kind of person who's always really excitable, talking really fast the entire time, you know, your hype level's up here. And if, if a crazy moment ever happens, you know, you can't really go much higher. You can't like, you can't really increase your hype level high enough to like pull someone's attention away from what they're doing. So by properly conveying hype, by not like talking so fast all the time, by not, you know, being um, super emotional or speaking super loudly, you can control when you want people to focus on something big and you can pull their attention back to that screen. 
And also when conveying hype in particular, there's like two ways to do it in terms of like your pacing and your loudness. And you need to work really well with both of those to be able to properly convey it right. Because you can obviously just get really loud and then people are like, oh, cool. But if you're talking slow, it's just kind of like a little bit awkward. But if you pick up your pacing and your loudness at the same time, you kind of this nice gradual curve into like a hype moment that will really create something memorable. Um, and that's like super kind of like technical stuff. Um, if you look at like Counter-Strike, for instance, it's round based. So you, if you look at like the hype level, if you were to graph like a hype level, this is like super nerdy. You, you get like this, these like peaks at the end of a round, rounds over. Okay. You slow back down. You talk about the next round coming up, action breaks out, you go up again and you repeat. It's like this nice little like wave, right? Um, if you look at stuff like Starcraft, for instance, I, I imagine it's more, you have these peaks and valleys where, okay, the game started up in the, up in the 12 o'clock position, it's violet, you know? So you have this little hype in the beginning to get yourself into the game, but then you have this like slow buildup throughout the entire match until you have these critical points of the GG, right? So each game has like their unique flow in terms of, uh, the hype level, the storytelling aspects of it. Um, that you need to understand before you can fully get into a game and, and really work on such a crucial side of casting, which is that technical aspect of it. I mean, this is all great stuff for me, man. Something I've definitely been thinking on about play-by-play uh, about -play and, and, and hype, um, that's really important to know. I think control is just a very good word in general yeah. for the play-by-play -play commentators. Um, controlling your voice so you don't get to any point of, of shrieking is always a good thing. Um, but then also controlling the... home with me on that one. <laughs> well, it's something I've, I've yeah, had to really work with. But Because one of the first things I was terrified is of, of being a very stereotypical, oh my God, why is that woman screaming? So that's why, you know, initially I didn't even want to try play-by-play. -play. Um, and I only did it, you know, I guess recently is three years at this point. But I feel like I've gotten to a decent point with it, you know, finally. But regardless, like, yeah, the ability to control the narrative, to, to actually mm -hmm. use your voice in the way that you think you're using your voice is something that is very important. And I think the number one reason to be watching your own VODs is to make sure you're communicating correctly what you thought you were communicating. And it's also something that I've been very much in tune with when watching other esports as I try to delve into, you know, casting them and, and what makes the casting good. Literally today, before this podcast, I was listening to some Valorant stuff from a couple of days ago. And I was like, this guy is just constantly on. You know yeah. what I mean? He's constantly, yeah. you were talking about, he was constantly at this level. So there was nothing, there's nothing higher. And there's nothing lower either. And that's really <laughs> what makes, you know, our, our you know, our, the earworm of, of commentary, right? We don't have a, an earworm like a melody, but we have something that's just like, that, that sounded nice, is when mm -hmm. someone's using that full scale. And we have the ability to be kind of, um, I talked to a, a, um, a hockey guy one of these podcasts a while ago and he summed it up so perfectly but i'm not a music person but he was like in esports it's more of like a melody right you kind of have like this little bit of like you know the crescendos and then you kind of doing going down whereas traditional commentary is like dun 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 a yeah. lot more and i was like yeah. damn that makes a lot of sense but that is a great thing about esports commentary is that we can get, we can do that we can control we're the you know goddamn like uh conductors in the orchestra and you can do that whether your eSport is as action-packed as Overwatch, which can't believe anyone casts that game as well as they do. That seems like an insane game. Um, or StarCraft, which is seen as, you know, super slower paced compared to it. So there's a, there's a whole different fun. skill sets you have to have as well across different games. Like, like StarCraft, I think you need to have a really good personality to tell like stories 
I, I think one thing that makes tasteless nartosis so good is the fact that even during downtime, you want to listen because they're really funny. They're really entertaining. Whereas in an FPS, you don't necessarily have that, that lull in action to, to have those kind of fun conversations between each other. <laughs> you're, you're super focused on the game the whole time. I don't know if you uh, listen to their Valorant casting, but um, you know, obviously they're, they're kind of new to it. They're getting into it. Yeah. One of the first times they've even cast like another game as well, especially for Artosis. But it was so funny because when I first heard them, the first thing I thought was that sounds like StarCraft casters casting an FPS. <laughs> like, I mean, it's true. The same thing happened for yeah. Monte Cristo and Doha. Like you said, Overwatch is so action-packed. They're used to League of Legends where they have these big lulls in action to just talk to each other. Like Doha, one of the greatest things about his commentary is the way he can fill dead air. But when he moves over to Overwatch, which is why I think their duo wasn't seen as good, is because he doesn't have the ability to do what he's done best or what he can do best, which is fill that, that downtime, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's also one of those like brand things and one of those things that you learn when you focus on one esport and one esport only is that you don't understand or you don't kind of round yourself out in the sense of being able to be a good commentator, not saying he's bad or anything, but to be to that kind of same standard that people expect out of you in one game into another. People said that a lot about Semlar as well when he moved to Overwatch, right? Like, yeah. they were like, obviously, he's a fantastic commentator, one of the, the best CSGO. But there is, I guess he doesn't just get Overwatch was kind of a common statement. And I think if you were to try and analyze that more than just like people's gut feelings, which can be hard to analyze, if we were to give it a go, it'd be something along the lines of, yeah, that the pacing isn't there. They don't understand like when to hit the, the crescendos and when to, yeah. to back down a little bit more. And... It's very impressive when people can instantly transfer skill sets. And it's very, very nice for when people don't have to adapt, right? Which kind of goes into the genre yeah, yeah. discussion earlier. So if you can go to an RTS to an RTS, it's probably going to be very similar pacing, even if people try to mix it up. If you go from Valorant, uh, from Overwatch to Valorant, it actually is probably more identical from what I've seen than CSGO and Valorant. Valorant, at least from my perception has been a lot more of that that quick pacing a lot more of the actions and abilities where csgo is so much more like here's the play here's the setup they go around there's the headshot you know and valorant yeah. just like okay they get the setup and then they're going already like you got to be <laughs> quick into it uh so um but it's it's something that yeah um is i i, I love the, the details here it's what i want to want to talk about and um so much of the details too that are easily forgotten people instantly go to detail analysis they're like well clearly you got to be a certain level to have a certain analysis and that's all well and good not going to knock people oh. who want to do that but the people well, who let's actually dive into that actually i okay. love that i love right. that topic. go ahead 100 because because oh man i because i remember this and it's always i think it's always a scary topic as a commentator uh and i think one of the scariest things you can do as a caster is do show matches for instance, okay. say you're a, say you're a color caster in StarCraft, right? Actually, I think actually I think maybe StarCraft. I think StarCraft is an exception to this rule because I feel like almost everyone that casts StarCraft can play StarCraft at a really good level, like pretty damn decent. But say you take, um, and I'm not trying to pick on him. I swear, it's just the example I can think of off the top of my head. Monte Cristo, League of Legends, never a good player. He was never a good player. He was never like uh, high ranked. He was never, from my memory, medium ranked. He was like silver or gold. He was pretty low ranked. Mm. Same with same with Overwatch. He wasn't high ranked, but he catered his analyst work 
to bypass that by talking and ingraining himself in with teams, by asking them constant questions, by watching their demos or by watching their scrims live, by listening to their comms. He bypasses his individual knowledge from his perspective of actually playing out these situations and he uses that as a way to get around that. Whereas you have pro players who are transitioning into you know color commentator roles um, who literally can can do super micro analysis. I, I guess you would say Monte Cristo would do like very macro heavy analysis. Um, and I think most color casters, if you're not a pro player, you do focus on macro stuff. But then when it comes down to like a pro player transition to a color caster role, you go very, very minor squeak. And, and I, I feel like as a color caster who always focuses on macro stuff, which to be fair, even I, even I did, I was always a macro caster. You never want to show the audience how good or bad you are actually as a player because it's a hit to your credibility, or at least I see it as a hit to your credibility, If uh, which is why I try to avoid doing like show matches because I don't want people to see, oh, he's, uh, he's doing analyst work for League of Legends or, or for CS. Oh, he's silver. He's terrible. He can't even hit a shot, you know? Um, and I think especially... Uh, especially more towards, and I don't want to make this like a sexist topic at all, but I feel like women have even a harder time with that. I, I think towards like Frankie and CS, who's an uh, interviewer desk host, I feel like whenever she streams, and I, I even talked to her about this, she gets so much like backseat gaming that it frustrates her because she does her job perfectly. Uh, and her ability to play the game doesn't matter to to what she can do in terms of the job. But I feel like it's it's very tough for people in general to to have their their playing actually seen sometimes if they're not as confident in their gameplay as they are in their talent work yeah the uh i, I thought when you said show match like my casting show matches and i was like what's wrong with that oh no 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 play playing the show matches <laughs> playing, yeah yeah um no that's a that's a very good point this is uh, another thing that i think you're right is very different not just because starcraft people are generally like good like i think our, our lowest ranked commentator is like diamond which is still top 20 Jesus Christ. And then most of us are top two. Well, Master's supposed to be top two. But anyways. But like, you know, and then that's still not enough for like, you know, the tryhards in StarCraft anyways. But it's it's also because we have to stream, which is one of those things that I, I don't... Well, do you mean do you have to stream as in for a living to like for keep a living. income coming exactly. in? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. As a, li- uh, as a living. So it does help with the branding as well, which is something we noted is important. So that's that's all well and good. It can be a good thing, but it, it mostly to me, I don't. And the streaming is not my passion, right? Like I can enjoy it, yeah. but commentating and, and talking in, in this podcast is kind of what I'm really excited to do. So I, you know, but I, 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 yeah, I would rather be someone who can be up on stage, you know, all the time and, and make my living off of that, if I could. Not only because it's what I like to do, but it's also like, yeah, I feel like there's not as much question because you're not forced to constantly show your gameplay. Right. And people don't, you know, they can't come into your chat and be like, lol, only masters too, not GM, lol. Exactly. And I, I'm kind of envious of other people for that. And I feel like Overwatch was a good example because so many of those guys that got picked up were very much so not from a playing community. They were the commentators or they were commentators in another game. They got brought in and there was really no question if, if one was the analyst and one was the play by play, I feel like I haven't heard many people question the analysis, um, the analysts skill level. I mean, I'm sure it happens, but I, I just feel like it's not as much because it's not a point to their commentary. It doesn't have to be anyways, but if they start mm-hmm. streaming, if they start doing show matches, as you were saying, then, then maybe suddenly it's a, it's a very easy dig, you know? I think to be fair, it just depends on how you take it as well. 
I, I feel like when you get to more of like the elitist type of, of, of games, I think Overwatch isn't an elitist game. I think mm. like the old guard of like StarCraft, Counter-Strike, and maybe Dota are more of like the elitist because they've been around for decades. Um, I think maybe the newer games, it's not too big of a deal, though maybe like Valorant is maybe an exception because people are expecting you to be like good at the game kind of thing. But yeah, like Overwatch, like people would listen to Monty and and I mean, they would have no clue that he would be like a, a silver or gold player because of how well he does his analysis work. And and again, not focusing on micro stuff, um, mm-hmm. or like individual small mechanical plays, I guess you would say. Yeah, I think um, it is hard to describe exactly what the difference of that micro versus macro is. Like I totally understand, but I could I could try it if you want. I could, I could give it a little little go. Sure, go ahead. I, I could try. <laughs> so to me, when I say macro, um, I guess we'll throw into StarCraft terms uh, with my limited knowledge of StarCraft, so bear with me. Uh, I mean, macro in StarCraft 2, it's, it's about the... the uh, it's about <laughs> base management, resource management, and, and unit management to a degree. W- would you agree with that? uh yes yeah sure okay and then micro for me is more like you're focusing on a reaper mm-hmm. you're micromanaging a reaper to take down you know scvs or drones or probes or whatever you're, you're you're specifically focused on that one unit and what it can do or macro is you're focused on a giant army and what it can do right and then there's obviously like macro stuff inside of it of using oh my god i, I, I can't remember the names of the abilities to be honest the protest one that puts the shield up force fields guardian yes, shield yeah exactly storms. thank you yeah. it's like it's micro and all that stuff so for me like macro analysis is if you look at it in the terms of overwatch it's like how the teams are setting up it's about their like compositions that they're trying to fight with each other in and then the micro would be more so like how the genji took advantage of things being on cooldown of the enemy team and using his deflect to reflect a certain ability back to them uh, and how you can use this one character in a specific way to like win these fights. So that's that's how I look at when I, when I talk about like macro versus micro analysis. Is that talking about macros like a lot easier because you're talking about compositions and and if you look at like League of Legends, like this character is supposed to beat this character, and with this character having this support, you should be able to beat this composition. And like you know, if A beats B and B beats C, then you know this whole little cycle that goes on. Whereas yeah, micro would be like that individual play you did to outplay someone or to to win something. So it's kind of interesting you put it that way. I was thinking more like, um, uh, I was going to say, like, when you listen to pro gamers talk, if there's like a guest cast or something like that, I agree. They're very micro detail oriented. And they're also very this, then this, then that, then this, right? Because they've seen it a hundred times. And even if they're wrong, if it's this, then that, then this, as opposed to that, they can say, oh, well, that's why this happened. And people will trust them as well because they're pros. Mm-hmm. But then for analysts who aren't pros, I feel like it's more like there are these options. We could see this option. We'll see what happens. And then this is briefly why that option couldn't work. And we'll see where it goes. There's there's a lot more. Um, I mean, honestly, it sounds like we're saying things that we don't know, but it's more just like Guesswork. allowing room for the execution to show because all these games have strategy so many more of them are actually about the execution. You can set up uh, a crossfire, but if no one shoots well, then, you know, it doesn't right. matter that you set up a strategy. Um, so that's what I thought you were getting into. But now, actually, the way that you described it kind of sounds like I, I would think the macro of what you were describing would be the play-by-play to me. 
So is, am I wrong with that? Mm, to, to some aspect, it's more about like how you set up a fight or break down how a fight happened. If, if you were to watch an Overwatch uh, fight and you were trying to predict what's going to happen, like talk about how, okay, they have a, a Widowmaker in this position. So the, the team attacking into it, they need to deal with it somehow. Send a Winston at it. Send someone who can close that gap at it. Or, you know, oh, they have this composition, a dive comp. So their whole goal is to jump on the enemy supports and kill them off. And then post post break or post fight, you break down like, okay, well, their Genju and Tracer got into the back line. Uh, they took down their Zenyatta, uh, and then the fight started to break or you know started to go in their favor because of that dive that came in. Whereas like micro in my head is more like the way this Tracer got into the back line, like exactly how they played that position out or how that Genji played this position out to accomplish what happened, or more of like the minuscule details. That I, I think I hear our Artosis and Tasis talk about when it comes to StarCraft of like pathing and stuff like that, especially when it comes to like Brood War, of like knowing the pathing details of like how characters work and stuff to get the moat to maximize the most you can out of that unit. Especially like when you have um like lurkers or you have vultures or something like that with spider mines to to capitalize off of that. I feel like a X player would be able to look at that and tell you exactly how like they should set something up mm. or how this one spider mine changed the whole fight whereas a macro analyst caster wouldn't really notice that 100% because they okay. they don't play at that level to see those small details. Okay. Yeah, I I mean I also wonder if this is a little bit of the um the difference of of video of of games of of the esports cuz you know when you're describing it I think it actually makes perfect sense as to what I've heard Overwatch commentators do which is that the analyst in the game let's you know it's not the round mm -hmm. they're still pushing the, the card or whatever and they're and they're like okay so we're gonna have a fight soon we have this person here this person there this person there and then they go ahead and, and let the play-by-play -play go yeah. bam bam boom wazzle wazzle and then when they come back if there is a lull they can be like so this is why it happened you know specifically the tracer didn't get the bomb off and, and this person didn't do that but yeah if they that's like that feels like a, a, a esports pacing thing you know because in starcraft I would say it's a lot of the time. Well, no, actually, actually, I guess it does kind of work. I, you know what it is? I feel like one is preparation. One is like the hype building, so the hype yep. guy can take it away. Another one is like the the lowering, right? The, the really pick, picking the, uh, the the pieces apart, which some esports allow, and some don't because they're they're so actiony. I mean, to be fair, like pro players, I think belong more so on an analysis desk than a commentary mm -hmm. duo just because of the whole storytelling aspect and the charismatic level you need to be at i feel like there's a lot of pros who who don't hit that kind of level um and i think storytelling like i think breaking out a fight's great but breaking out a fight in a way that's relative to the story you're trying to tell within the match is completely different and is is something that a lot of like pro players don't understand or don't know how to do without the the practice of it yes that's a good way to put it because that's uh, one of the big topics, you know, is a lot of the time people be like, you can't be uh, the color commentator unless you're a professional because they'll say, like, you can't do the analysis. But then I absolutely agree that I think that the commentary duo, and we are going to duo limit today, no, no trio questions, are, you know, it is, it, they're, they're trying to make this cohesive story that's easy to follow, that has important details mixed in, but only if it's necessary, only if it flows well, right? And then it's the analysts afterwards who really get to pick it apart and tell a different yeah. type of story that's more fitting for a, a segment that has a little bit more time for room. Whereas, you know, during a, a broadcast, a, a cast, it can't really happen. 
And I think that's a brilliant way to sum it up what I've been trying to explain to some people who come into my chat and are like, you're not a pro. How can you be an analyst? And I'm like, well, I mean, first of all, StarCraft doesn't really have an like, But that, that was a very good way to put it. Like, And you brought up storytelling, which is also one of the driving forces of, of commentary that people, it's, it's the biggest driving force of commentary. It, it seems like it's one of those things that you kind of have to, to, to wiggle out of people, you know, like draw out of people. They'll talk about, like in this podcast, right? We had a lot of things to discuss. It's been almost an hour and a half. And then we come to commentary and we're like storytelling. And if I asked you, is storytelling the, the most important thing to commentary, would you say yes or no? Cool. I mean, that's, it, it depends on, I think you need to be more specific on it for me to, to be able to answer that. Uh, like in, in what think... sense, like as a skill to be able to storytell, or do you mean like that's the most important aspect that people listen to or? Do you think that the role of a commentator is to be a storyteller? Or do you think that there's something different that a commentator must strive to be? I think, yeah. I think storytelling is one of the like most important aspects of, of a commentator, especially a player play comp. Actually, yeah. As a commentator, period. It doesn't matter if you're an analyst or you're a play-by-play or color or play-by-play because you need to be able to get the viewers invested into what they're watching. And mm-hmm. the easiest way to do that is the stories behind it. You know, if if Flash was uh, was amazing in Road War and now he's struggling in StarCraft 2, people are like, oh, that's interesting. Like, oh, he was so dominant when it came to Road War, but now he's, he's struggling in StarCraft 2. Uh, and then he starts to do well in a tournament. Like, oh, this might be the time. Maybe Flash is finally, you know, you know, locked into what he needs to do in StarCraft 2 to win. And then he goes on to win the tournament. People are like, holy shit, that's so epic. You know, and, and I feel that's like massively important is to find those important storylines and then obviously convey it in a proper way. But that's, um, I mean, I'm glad you, you kind of agreed at the end, but that's, that seems to be a trend is that people would be like, yeah, like you're trying to tell a story. You know, a lot of commentators come in and they're like, I need to talk about what's on the screen in front of me. Okay, I need to be more analysis. I'm going to talk about why the screen on front of me is doing what it does. And then eventually it feels like everyone figures out that actually what is fascinating to people is like the human story behind it and connecting all the strings so that you can say like this game is important in this series because the series is important today because today is important for the tournament and this tournament's important because it's the global, you know, and so on and so forth, which can also make people care, you know, making people care about that match on that particular day, but to be able to make, make them do that every time. To, to try and find something that like is very easily attached to so that if, if you know, the uh, if StarCraft Twitter actually worked, which it doesn't really, they would be able to clip me, say, this is the most important time in Jadong's career. This is his last event as a professional player. You know, whatever, whatever. That would be clippable and people would be like, oh man, that sounds amazing. I want to see this guy. I have no idea who he is. Ha ha, Dong, you know, like, and then that brings people in. But if you clip someone saying, Okay, so Jadong's gonna go for a twelve pool right now, and that twelve pool is going to perhaps do Dan. Like it's saying, like, yeah, this is, yeah, you know, some it's people. It's the highlight reel. It, but... It's it's the highlight reel commentary, right? It's yeah. you want it to sound epic, and when you look at any highlight videos or you look at like recap videos of a tournament, you want those those one liners that that stand out. That's another thing I, I think is like actually really crucial for a play by play to try and. Not not fit like you don't want to force it necessarily, but to try and you know if you could sum up something in a line and then make it clippable, I think that you know producers really like that when you yeah. can just clip it and oh, get it man. done with it. And the and the worst part is is that you sometimes work with these color casters, or even I guess it goes both ways. Let's be honest, it goes both ways. Who 
don't realize commentary is like a selfless job mm. is you can't be selfish when you're casting with someone. You need to do what you can to make them perform better. So if I'm color, I need to properly build up to a fight. And when the fight breaks out, I need to hand it off to my play play caster so he can do what he does best. I don't want to jump in there or even like a GG moment. If if it's his job to have those line those one-liners at the end of a game, or it's you know his or her job to break down the fight and have the final GG moment, as a color caster, I shouldn't be jumping in because you 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 mess up the whole flow of the show. Or you mess up the the highlight reel as well by coming in and talking, unless it's obviously something like super crazy, right? But you have to like realize, like as a color caster, it's not my job to be in the highlight reels. If I don't hear my voice in a recap of this in- insane match then I have to be okay with it because it's not my job to do that. It's not what I'm hired to be. It's not my role in the duo. And I need to help the person I'm casting with be able to nail that perfectly. That's my job. It's not to have that one liner. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some people who come into commentary don't realize that. And I've been hearing it a lot lately where you'll have like the color caster, which some of it, some of it's authentic, but some of it's kind of forced because they just want to get in there. They'll like make sounds when they don't need to, or they'll try to give emphasis on something when they don't need to. and And it ruins an entire clip. That could be, you know, something or something that's seen, you know, years later as being one of the most epic moments in that game. It's it's a lot of selfless stuff you have to do within commentary. Even if you're play by play, if you want to look at the other way, just because I know how or why this fight took place or what led up to the fight or what happened in the fight, it's not my job to break that down. It's my job to let the other guy do that and to ask him questions. Sorry, him or her questions. I, I just keep saying him in general. <laughs> ask them questions to help them look good, you know, to help them break down the analysis properly, to help them look smart and like a genius. And like, you know, they, they saw this coming. Um, and I think uh, like a lot of the newer commentary with, with the whole idea of like building your own brand and stuff like that, that kind of gets lost in the craft of what commentary duo should be doing. I, I think there's some genuine crossover potential, right? Especially depending on your game. Yeah. Sometimes analysis can, can kind of hype with analysis just because they're so invested in the analysis type of situation. But I think you're ultimately like overall right. I mean, I've certainly been in that position where I realize like I need to shut the hell up. Like no sounds. This is super epic. He's really going to call it. Uh, yeah. I've been in the other position where I was like, why did you interrupt me? <laughs> like I was, exactly. I was building up. I was going to the GG. God damn it. But it is about being selfless and, and trying to recognize like when it is time to to let either the action speak or your co-caster speak. It is a selfless job, but it's such a difficult job to say that of when the branding is so important when you're like either trying to have people acknowledge that you're smart and you know the game but you're relegated to the play-by-play role what do you you know what 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 do you do to try and let them know i do know the game as well or vice versa when you're the color guy and you want them to know that you're there you want to be on the highlight and the sizzle reel and you can't because you don't really get those hype moments because it is a little bit of having not having an ego but it's a little bit of of well having to have an ego to a degree like yeah you, you kinda especially have as a commentator to, <laughs> exactly to be on air and, and and do these things and and build your profile as well and that could be a whole nother discussion we could go into about how you do that balancing act there's so many things in life are a balancing act but yeah i do not want to take up too much of your time it's been a very fast 90 minutes <laughs> say that fun. right off the bat it's been fun yeah i absolutely loved your your perspective on things i think you really summed up a lot of topics that I've been thinking about recently. So thank you so much for that. I do have one last question because you made sure to, to point it out. Do you have a hype song? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, we didn't even get into the parts of like, tell me your favorite stories in esports over your, your career. 
because I definitely have some there. I think one of my one of my hype songs is uh, is Thunderstruck by ACDC. Mm. I have a lot of like good memories behind that. Where during LCS in, I mean, you've been to Cologne, right? You've been to Germany. Yes. Okay, and you know it can get ridiculously hot here, and uh, the country does not believe in air conditioning. Yeah. Um, so one year in 2013 during the LCS summer relegation matches or promotion matches. We're in our studio, in Studio 2. There is two air conditioners who both broke because it was too hot. There was a barbecue happening outside. And you have me, Joe Miller, Demon, and Quickshot blasting ACDC Thunderstruck, waiting for the technical difficulties to, to finish so we could finally get back into the game, just like singing and just blasting the music over the speakers in the studio and like DJing it up. And for me, like because of that, that's one of my, my hype songs to get me in the mood. That's a very, that's a nice story. That's a, a nice memory too. Um, yeah. 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 One of the first times I was in Germany was for a home story cup years and years ago. And it was like the super small cramped space, no air conditioning. And they decided to like barbecue things and hand us like yep. steaming hot plates of like sausages. And I'm like, this, <laughs> I don't want you, this. You were at the hotel down the street, I bet as well. Right. Oh yeah. The, that has the, no air conditioning and exactly. it's stuffy as hell. Oh, oh yeah. Terrible. And my window, by the way, opened right next to the uh fire escape, which was like because it was like a two-tiered, like uh, the ceiling of the next building was like there and my room was here. Mm-hmm. And so people could easily climb from the roof, which they were allowed to be on. There was like five guys with their shirts off on that roof, could easily climb into my bedroom from the fire escape into my very open window. It's very questionable. <laughs> That's a lot of things I, I could ask about that. <laughs> well, uh, fortunately, they never did. They seem to be gentlemen. Oh, you said fortunately or unfortunately? I said fortunately they were gentlemen. Oh, okay. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I'll be. Uh, anyways, the um, yeah, the 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 story though is that uh, yeah, Europeans get AC. Okay, it's gonna be it's gonna be the way of the future. All right. They always complain. It's only hot here once once uh one one week in the year. But when it gets hot, it's like 40-something degrees Celsius, which is over 110 degrees yeah. or 100 degrees. I don't care if they're telling me that the week I'm visiting. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, always, it's always the week you're here. Always. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a good hype song. I like that one. I've been listening to that on my, on my runs as well. Oh, good song for that. Yeah. I guess you got to tell uh, at least one esports story. Good old hot Germany. <sighs> <laughs> but now that's going to that's gonna wrap it up. Do you have any shout outs you want to do or where people can find you? What uh, jobs you're currently working? Uh, I guess uh, oh, first of all, shout out to you for doing this. It's been, it's been a pleasure being on, on, on the show here. Um, I think I need to give like, uh, obviously, uh, I think I always give a shout out to my parents for supporting me in what I do for supporting me through, you know, making the YouTube videos for supporting me going to Germany, even though I'm the baby, of the family, my mom and dad didn't want me to go. Um, but they've always been very supportive of what I'm doing and and willing to help on any way um obviously so i have to give a shout out to joe uh, joe miller and esl for even giving me the opportunity to to do this job and i guess for like the last uh last almost two years now i have to give a shout out to my girlfriend because she's been putting up with me being gone for months at a time which is uh something we don't really even talk about right is the travel part of uh of esports as talent and how it affects your relationships and your mental uh well just your mentality when it comes to life um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm working on the CS, uh, ESL CSGO Pro League at the moment. I'll be doing some PUBG Mobile stuff later on in in, uh, in May and maybe some other games here or there in between. And you can check me out on, on Twitter at Jay Kaplan. 
or on Instagram at Jay Kaplan, but a one instead of the L because the person who has at Jay Kaplan is a bot account and I can't seem to get control of it <laughs> to take it. So thanks, Instagram. Nice. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. Uh, I look forward to, to watching you on the uh, CSGO, actually. I've been watching a little bit of PUBG recently, so maybe I'll catch you in May as well. But uh, yeah, whatever you do, man. It's been an awesome conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it out there. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I'll see you in two weeks for episode 30. See ya. Bye. So I really liked this podcast episode, and I hope you guys did too. It's actually one of my favorites, um, aside from the little editing snafu of it being 29, but saying this is 30. Uh, this is actually episode 29. I just edited it in the wrong order. Besides that little mistake, I really like this episode and how it panned out. I think we discussed a lot of real things that people have to confront in this industry, and Jason Kaplan had a lot of insight from the years of being in esports as well, starting from the uh, you know the League of Legends side too, which you know obviously blew up uh, a little bit later than StarCraft, but in a honestly much bigger way <laughs> than, than StarCraft ended up doing so I, I really really enjoyed this and i hope you guys did too uh, if you did please check out the patreon patreon.com slash zombie grub which uh anything you can do to support helps this podcast continue and uh if you want to support a little bu- above and beyond there are other options such as behind the scenes stuff um as well as early access and i'm hoping to get uh potentially a little bit of a um, so this is a, a every other week podcast currently, but I would like to supplement the in-between weeks for Patreon supporters with something like a little 30-minute discussion about the most recent podcast with me and maybe guests uh, if they feel like coming on. So that's kind of like brewing as well, but I just want to make the Patreon actually something that's really cool. And if you just want to support me because you like my work, well, then that's that's awesome as well. And uh, to the guys who do go above and beyond in a big way, thank you, Nick, Adventures of Arc, Vinny, and Steven, uh, for really helping to make this podcast not just viable uh, as far as the work being put into it, but then helping it make it better, as I also have people now finally going for... Um, uh, chapters, YouTube chapters and, and summaries. So we can put that on the podcast as well as the YouTube video and help people kind of just dig in and be like, oh, okay, I don't want to listen to that part, but this sounds really interesting. As I know, an hour and a half podcast is a lot to sit through just in case something interesting pops up. So that is also in the works. Want to make this thing bigger and better. So this is an extended outro, but thank you again, guys, for listening. And I hope to see you guys or... Well, I don't see you, I suppose. But I hope that you guys return for episode 31 in two weeks. See you then.